the latest on ransomware, there's good news and bad. And the Excelian mess, what went wrong? These stories and more in this week's ISMG Security Report. Hi, I'm Anna Delaney. What's the latest in the world of ransomware? Well, who better to ask than one of the most prolific writers on the topic, our very own Matthew Schwartz, executive editor of Data Breach Today in Europe. I got to quiz him earlier this week on the good, the bad and the ugly of this criminal business. So Matt, really good to speak with you. It seems that ransomware shows no sign of stopping as we continue into 2021. As you say in one of your recent articles, as ransomware continues to generate massive profits for criminals, why would they ever stop using it? So what's the latest? Fill us in. Well, you're exactly right with the profit-seeking imperative. It's been super lucrative for cybercrime gangs. And this wasn't always necessarily the case. Ransomware looked like it was maybe on a bit of a downward trajectory at the end of 2019. But then the Maze Gang came along and started using data leaking sites. So before they crypto locked systems and demanded a ransom, they would steal data and they'd use the threat then of leaking this data to force victims to pay. At the time, a lot of experts said, well, we don't know if this is a strategy that's going to work. Unfortunately, it worked. And it's led to a real rise in ransomware payoffs that we saw over the course of 2020. And it led a lot of other gangs to follow suit because it's been a pretty reliable moneymaker. So unfortunately, now a lot of ransomware victims don't just have crypto locking malware to recover from, but also a data breach. Right. But there is some positive news. I mean, you've reported that the average ransom payment has recently declined. So that's great, isn't it? Phenomenal. Yes. Uh, a firm called Coveware, which is a ransomware incident response firm that helps victims, found that from last year, Q3 to Q4, the average ransom payment, so this is when victims choose to pay, the average ransom payment declined by a third, reaching about $150,000. So that's the really good news. The bad news, of course, is that ransomware gangs have a history of innovating. They have an imperative to keep changing things up in a way that will help them make huge amounts of money. The huge amount of profit that's been flowing to many of the gangs, including the top gangs like Maze and Soda no Kibi, also known as Revil and Dharma, has given them a big research and development fund as well. They've been able to recruit specialists, take down bigger targets with the promise of a bigger ransom payoff from these bigger targets, and just keep changing things up enough to keep turning a profit. So there's good news, but if we've learned anything, it's that there's a real imperative for these gangs to find new ways to make victims pay. So what can be done about it? What, what can be done to put an end to this and stop ransomware in its tracks and, and the criminals behind it? So this, this is the $100 million question, right? So experts have suggested a lot of strategies. One of the ones I really love is from Kieran Martin. He's the former head of Britain's cybersecurity department, the uh, National Cybersecurity Center. He says, why aren't we hacking ransomware gangs? Why don't we unleash offensive hacking teams like the US did against the Russian troll factory, the internet research agency, after it attempted to interfere in US elections? It took down their infrastructure. He's saying, why don't we do that with criminals? So that's a really interesting suggestion. Another one is potentially banning ransom payments. Could this be made to happen? Is it fair to organizations that have prepared but still got hit? That's not clear. But a lot of experts are saying we should at least start clamping down on cyber insurance payouts 
being used to fund ransom payments because a lot of that money is just going straight into criminals' pockets. A third strategy I'll highlight comes from Chris Krebs, the former director of the Cybersecurity Infrastructure and Security Agency, famously fired by President Trump after he said that the U.S. elections were the most secure in history. But Krebs says another thing we need to do is just make things more difficult for attackers, specifically multi-factor authentication wherever possible, make it much more difficult for attackers to get in. He said ransomware attackers are hugely opportunistic and anything that organizations can do to slow them down, complicate their life, it'll at least make attackers look elsewhere. Well, Matt, it's always fascinating to read your work, and I hope you're quietly writing your ransomware novel on the side. Well, we'll see. Yes, you've got to keep, uh, keep busy during the pandemic, don't we? You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. A vulnerability in vendor Excellion's legacy file transfer appliance software has been causing a lot of noise of late. So what went wrong? ISMG's Jeremy Kirk, Managing Editor of Security and Technology, investigates. The Excellion data breach situation continues to expand. So what went wrong? Where does the fault lie? And what can organizations do about it? It's not a straightforward story, but it points to problems balancing use of an aging software product with risk, a reluctance to move onto a newer platform and hiccups around patching, and a dose of really bad luck. To recap the situation, Excellion is based in Palo Alto, California, and it develops the file transfer appliance. The FTA was designed as a secure way to overcome limits imposed on the size of email attachments. Recipients get links to files hosted on an FTA, which can then be downloaded. But the product is 20 years old and is still used in sectors such as finance, government, and insurance to transfer sensitive files. It's also a juicy target. Over the last seven weeks or so, several SQL injection vulnerabilities and others have emerged in the product. I spoke with Joel York, who's Excellion's chief marketing officer. Despite the issues, he says a recent external audit of the FTA found no problems. He claimed the recent vulnerabilities were hard to find. He likened Excellion's situation with that of other companies such as FireEye and Microsoft, which were among the many organizations hit by the SolarWinds incident. Here's Joel York. I can brag a little bit. We don't miss much. We have very thorough processes. And again, I'm sure Microsoft does, and you know FireEye does, and all the other folks. That it's almost like you're not you're not even in security if you haven't had an incident. But let's put this in perspective. A batch of SQL injection vulnerabilities uncovered in an aging product is very different than a supply chain compromise involving the infiltration of a company's build infrastructure. And on Monday, a new victim came forward that stirred more attention to Excellion. Washington State Auditor's Office said that personal information related to 1.6 million unemployment claims on its FTA may have been exposed. It adds to other victims, including New Zealand's Reserve Bank, Australia's financial regular ASIC, and a Sydney-based law firm. Although there was much that York says he can't comment on, he did provide some background into what Excellion has faced. After the first vulnerability was patched in December, the attackers came after the FTA again and again, he says. However, Excellion didn't release any detail on those exploitation attempts. Here's York again. It was essentially cyber warfare between mid-December 
in just a week or so ago. So we weren't going to disclose any technical details whatsoever publicly at that point, just to protect our customers and to protect our efforts. It's not uncommon for disclosure of a vulnerability to lead to other findings of related vulnerabilities, given that simply knowing where to look is enough of a clue to shake other flaws out. But it also deprives Excellion of other outside expert analysis, which could be helpful, and it obfuscates just how bad of a situation the FTA is in. Excellion has been advocating that its customers upgrade to KiteWorks, which is its modernized file sharing replacement for the FTA, but many of its customers haven't done that yet. York says there are other non-financial costs and disruption that may have dissuaded its customers. Data has to be migrated, processes change, and employees need to be trained on a new system. Ironically, Washington State had just finished its migration to KiteWorks and was ready to shut off its FTA when the breach happened. After the latest issues, Excellion is officially retiring the FTA on April 30th. Obviously, this should have been done sooner, but it's understandable given that Excellion likely didn't want to overly aggravate its customers, particularly given the plethora of secure file sharing alternatives. Drew Schmidt is a senior threat intelligence analyst with GuidePoint Security. He tells me it's prudent for those still on the FTA to wean themselves off of it if possible. At the end of the day, it's all about how much risk you can tolerate as an organization. So, you know, you have to have that conversation to say, you know, can we live with this? Um, Can we live with the worst possible outcome? And if so, I guess you can, you know, assume that risk. You know, me being in in security, I really would try to push for let's move off this platform. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. And finally, the consumer credit reporting company Experian recently released its 2021 Future of Fraud forecast to help businesses anticipate new types of fraud. Here's Kathleen Peters, Experian's chief innovation officer, who talks with Nick Holland, ISMG's director of banking and payments, about a certain type of Frankensteinian fraud to watch out for this year. So obviously last year with COVID-19 and the associated lockdown, there's been this accelerated move to digital. And that's just been such a tempting target for fraudsters. We talked a lot about synthetic ID in the last year and some methods to help combat the effects and protect businesses against synthetics, but it's not going away in 2021. And that's why you see it again in our forecast. And so, as you mentioned, you're absolutely right. The Frankenstein idea of a synthetic is these mismatched pieces of real, fake, stolen information stitched together to make an ID. We really believe that in 2021, fraudsters are likely to take that to the next level. So out in the marketplace, there's been um, an availability of AI-generated faces, which are very realistic. And you can see things on um, websites like generated.photos and thispersondoesnotexist.com. Very realistic, new every time faces that can help a synthetic identity seem that much more real. So as businesses are putting in different layers of defenses, one of them might be to present an image or a face. This allows fraudsters to put a very real seeming face with this fake identity that they've created. So that's the nature that we expect behind that prediction. So I think it's really an interesting evolution that we're going to have to be vigilant about and mindful about and think about what are the best ways to prevent and prepare for these types of attacks. Deep fakes often are taking a real image and trying to put that in in a made up or a fake scenario to cause some damage. This is almost a corollary to that, where we have a fake identity, a fake individual that we're trying to make appear as real as possible. And that's what the fraudsters are after. 
That's it from ISMG's Security Report. Theme music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Anna Delaney. Until next time. Thank you.